from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Help us, O Lord, to delight in your word, to not forget your precepts, for by them you have given us life, eternal life. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. Well, I remember as a child, my mother showing me pictures of the Royal Gorge Bridge in southern Colorado. Uh, I was in awe of it as she told me about when she and, and her siblings um, had walked across uh, the Royal Gorge on the highest suspension bridge in America, 956 feet above the Arkansas River. Uh, the bridge stretches across the Royal Gorge uh, 1,260 feet and tourists can walk across the almost a quarter mile length of the bridge on the thick wooden planks that uh, line that bridge. And uh, just after I graduated high school, I took a trip to Colorado with a few of my classmates and one of the highlights of our trip was walking across that Royal Gorge Bridge. Uh, once you get there and you're on that bridge and you kind of over that canyon, you feel the wind blowing on you and, and you look down and realize how high off the ground you are and how long it would take your body to fall before it hit the ground. You feel a little unstable. Your anxiety level begins to rise, and, uh, but but you keep walking, and, and whenever I began to feel a bit uneasy about uh, being out there, I would look up across the bridge, and I would focus on the immense size of the bridge support towers. And you see the amount of concrete that those support towers are held up by, and how far down um, those uh, towers go with the, with the foundation into the rock, and how thick steel is that makes up those 150 foot tall towers, you realize this bridge isn't going anywhere. This bridge was built to stay put. Uh, what those huge support towers are designed to do is to give the bridge stability. So much so that it can withstand winds up to 125 miles per hour and hold more than 2 million pounds. You may not feel like it is all that stable when you are in the middle of, of walking across it on those wooden 
planks, but once you focus your eyes on those support towers, then remind yourself that people like you have been walking across this bridge almost every day since 1929, that it's probably pretty stable. And that does make you feel better. Now it would seem that the church that Jude wrote this letter to was probably feeling a little like I first felt walking across the Royal Gorge Bridge. Very unstable, fearful, and a bit anxious. Here Jude is calling them to contend for the faith. Their church was being threatened. And hearing how Jude described how, how wicked these false teachers were, that had snuck into the church and how God would judge them may have caused the believers to feel even more unstable about their situation. How, how would their church survive this? Would they be able to contend for their faith against such a powerful influence? It had to be an anxious time for the believers there. And when we consider the time that we are living in and what's going on In our society at this present moment, it has made us feel a little anxious as well. It's kind of like we're walking across that suspension bridge, 956 feet high over the Royal Gorge, and we're feeling the wind blow and the bridge sway, and our legs are getting weak, and we're very unsure of ourselves. Will we be able to stand? Well, what we need is the same thing that was needed by the believers who first received this letter. We need stability. We need to have confidence that we're being held up, that we're not going to fall. In an anxious age, we need to know God, and we need to be assured of his promises. And so Jude ends his letter by pointing the believers right to God. He says, now to him. Now to him. Now look to him. He didn't want his readers to be anxious as they finished this letter. He wanted them to be assured. He wanted them to be confident, filled with hope. He wanted them to worship. And so he pointed them to God. And what God is leading us toward, which if we see it, will provide us with the stability that we need in this anxious unstable time. So our main theme from these last two verses of Jude, we must direct our hope, worship, and service to the great God who is able to save and preserve his people forever. So the last two verses of Jude are well known as a magnificent, exalted doxology. The word doxology simply means speaking praise to God. That is exactly what these verses are doing, reminding those who hear them of the glory of God. It is very often used as a benediction to close a worship service or as the last word that is spoken by the pastor or worship leader as the service concludes, and for very good reason. I mean, what a magnificent description here of our hope and the subject of our hope, God himself. We cannot hear these words and be unmoved or unchanged. These words demand a response. So that is what we're going to focus on this morning. Three main responses to such a glorious and powerful God that we are shown here. So the first response, look to the one who is able to keep you. Look to the one who is able to keep you. Verse 24, now To him 
who is able to keep you from stumbling. Jude's letter began with this assurance that the Lord Jesus will keep all those who belong to him by their faith. And now here it is again at the the end of of the letter. The Lord wants us to have faith that he is able to save us and to keep us, that he will hold us fast. Look back at verse one. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. These are the bookends of the letter, being kept. The letter's filled with some very strong challenges to the people of faith, but the Lord is able to keep them from stumbling, that is, from falling away into apostasy, from rejecting and leaving the faith. The Lord will be sure to keep all of his elect and called people from withdrawing themselves from the faith. Now this is known as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, Those who are truly born again through faith in Jesus Christ will be kept. Their faith will endure many trials and tribulations, but in the end, it will endure. They will persevere in the faith all the way to glory. It's a tremendously comforting gospel truth. So here within this church that the Jude is writing to, uh, false teachers had snuck in and were seeking to lead people away from the gospel. So Jude calls the believers to contend for the faith there in verse 3. These false teachers were teaching things like, you know, the grace of God gives us license to indulge in sensuality and sexual immorality. With, with whoever you may be attracted to. After all, God's grace isn't trying to limit your freedom. They're also saying things like, you know, don't take the Lord's commands so seriously. I mean, lighten up. You believe the Lord would want you to be happy, right? Of course he would. Pursue your happiness. Pursue what makes you happy. They would grumble about church leaders taking things too seriously and being unloving because they just didn't understand the grace of God as well as, as these guys did. They, 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 they claimed that, that they were the ones who really knew the Lord and had a greater understanding of the gospel than the apostles did and had opened the, the doors to this freedom to indulge in sensuality. And those true believers in that church, they felt that pressure. They felt this pressure on them. They, they experienced the temptation to, to just go with them, to just follow them. Some of them maybe even did for a time. But the Lord is a shepherd who never loses his sheep. He saves them and he keeps them secure. Uh, the great uh, chapter in the Gospel of John on the Lord being the good shepherd we read, we read Jesus say this, John 10, 27 through 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. In Mark chapter 4, the Lord Jesus tells one of the most important parables 
in the New Testament. And I refer to it in that way as one of the most important because Matthew and Luke also include the parable as well um, in their records of uh, Jesus' teaching. It's known as the parable of the sower, or more accurately, the parable of the, the sowers, or the, the, the soils. Uh, Jesus tells the story of a farmer who was uh, sowing a seed on the ground, and, and, the, and the seed fell on all kinds of different soils, some rocky soil, some weedy soil, some on the hard path, and some on good soil. And then he described how the plants grew in each of the soils. Most of the plants did not produce fruit, but withered away. Most of them did not grow all that well. Only the seed, Jesus says, that fell on the good soil grew and flourished and yielded much fruit. And when Jesus explained the parable to his disciples, he taught them that the parable was how, is about how people receive God's word in their hearts when they hear it. He said sometimes Satan comes and deceives the person to reject God's word, reminding us all that the church has a very real enemy, a very real enemy who is at work to deceive us, deceive the person who hears God's word, to snatch them away from the saving word. He said that persecution and strong social pressure against the word of God will also result in some hearers walking away from the word. And he then described many of the obstacles that, that keep people from hearing the word and from truly believing it, truly trusting it. And they're all very real challenges for each of us today. So Mark 4, 18 and 19 say, um, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But for those who were sown on the good soil, the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So there are many, Jesus says, who aren't necessarily deceived by Satan, who turn away from the word because of um, all these cares of the word, of the world. All these cares of the world get in the way of their commitment to follow Christ, which is usually related to their wealth and riches, which deceive us into believing that it would be much better for us to just put our hope in our job, in our career, or put our hope in our education and our, our family. For those things are, are what will truly provide us with happiness those things are what life is really all about. Those things end up squeezing out any commitment or trust in the gospel, Jesus says. Those are the things that threaten us from persevering in the faith. Those are the things that keep us from God's word, which we saw in verse 20 is how the Lord keeps his people. The Lord keeps his people by his word. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. As we read God's word, we find warnings, we find instructions, we find commandments, 
we find stories and promises and wonderful descriptions of God and his power. And my friends, these are all meant to keep us in the faith. Those who believe and honor and heed God's word will be kept. Those who don't, those who don't hear God's word, those who don't listen to his word, those who don't follow what God says in his word, who reject it, who ignore it, they will show themselves to be those who were never given genuine spiritual life in the first place. Now, true believers will fall. We, we, we will still sin. We all, we all know we are capable of that. But if we are truly in Christ by faith alone, we will rise again, as the proverb teaches us, the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. The Lord is able to keep you from stumbling, so look to him, put your hope in him, that he will fulfill his word. Uh, Secondly, verses 24 and 25, worship the one who is able to save you. Worship the one who is able to save you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So now we are to focus on what believers are being kept for. We are being kept for a presentation, for a revealing before the presence of the glory of the one who is keeping us. It will be a day of great joy. It it kind of sounds like a wedding. And in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is teaching the church about how they were to think of marriage Think of marriage and the two different roles of a husband and a wife. He compares the role of the husband caring for his wife to Christ caring for his church. That is those who are being kept by him, his people. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, we read, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and that she might be holy and without blemish. That's almost exactly what Jude is describing for us in our passage here in Jude 24. Now to him was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. This word here, blameless or without blemish, uh, Jude here with this word is once again pointing us back to the Old Testament, uh, particularly to the description of any sacrifice that could be brought before the Lord in worship, no matter what kind of animal it was, if it was a lamb, if it was a bull, if it was a goat, the law said the animal must be one that is without blemish. The only offering that the Lord would accept had to be completely without blemish fault, without blemish of any kind. And Jude points to that word then to describe how believers will be when we are presented before the Lord in glory. We must also be without blemish. Like the animals brought into the the tabernacle or the temple, we must be without blemish, which of course we all realize is impossible for each of us. There isn't anyone here who could 
honestly confess to being blameless in everything. No one can claim to have lived with with perfect innocence before God. It It is something every Christian must confess that they are indeed full of sin and unrighteousness, that we are guilty of sin and unbelief, and at the same time, we have been self-righteous in the way we, we have lived. We've each, each in one way or another fooled ourselves into thinking we could make ourselves right with God without having to depend on anyone or anything else. But all uh, the Holy Spirit has to do is bring up the summary of the law to us. Have you loved God with all your heart? With all your soul? With all your mind? With all your strength? Have you served the Lord perfectly and, and brought him glory through every thought that you've had? Through every belief that you have? have you, has your will been wholly given over to obeying all of his commands and, and serving him in everything you've done? In all your actions? In all the words that you've spoken? In all the work that you've done, has it all been done out of your love for God and your devotion to honoring him? What about the second part of that law? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you worked for the good of your neighbor and, and never done or said or thought anything against someone else in your home, in your class, at school, at at your workplace, or even within this church? No, no, we, we, we know we, we are not blameless. We are definitely not without blemish. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we've done it fairly regularly. We can't stand before such a magnificently holy and righteous God and expect to be received by him as blameless because our hearts and our hands are tainted with sin. But the heart of the Christian faith, which Jude is calling the church to contend for in this letter, is that we were all under his condemnation in our sin and rebellion, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So for all who have acknowledged their guilt before God and have believed in the salvation and the forgiveness that Jesus, the Son of God, won for us on the cross, we now share in this hope, share in this promise of eternal life in the very presence of God for all uh, eternity. It's put like this in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, so that's, that's each of us, describing each of us, he has now, in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He's reconciled us through what he accomplished on the cross. So this day, that's, that's, that's described for you, that Jude is pointing to here, this day is coming for each of us. This day when we will be presented before the holy God and we will see his blinding glory. 
When we stand before him, the Bible tells us we will be judged by him. And the only question for you is, is when you stand before him, will you be presented before him as blameless, covered in the righteousness of Christ, and be received by him with great joy, shared by both God, our Savior, and yourself? Or when you stand before him, will you still be covered with your sin, with your guilt? and your unrighteousness, through which you will be exposed as justly deserving of his condemnation. Friend, you will stand before his glory sooner than you want to, sooner than you think. The time is short, so make sure you are someone who worships and serves and follows the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, it seems like the saints in years gone by thought much more about how God will enable the faith of his people to endure through trials to the end when uh, we will be presented uh, blameless before him. At least their hymns focus on it way more than our, our modern songs do. And I want to re- recommend to him for you um, the title of A Debtor to Mercy Alone, A Debtor to Mercy Alone by Augustus Toplady. And I wish we had the time and patience for me to recite the whole thing to you, but I think just verse 3 will suffice, where it says, My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy but not more secure the glorified spirits in heaven. So look to the one who is able to keep you, to keep you secure, and worship the one who is able to save you, and and finally, serve the one who has all authority over you. Verse 25, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The false teachers had been dishonoring the authority of Jesus as Lord. Uh, Verse 4 tells us in Jude, they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So throughout the next four paragraphs of this letter, Jude established what becomes of those who deny that Jesus is the Lord and Master, uh, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And now here, in the last verse of the letter, Jude leads his readers to praise and glorify God through Jesus Christ our Lord, as the one who has always had, has now, and will always possess majesty, dominion, and authority forever and ever. Amen. Now let's consider what having all dominion and authority over all the world means, particularly for us. Well, it means that we are not our own. We are not our own. It means that everything we think belongs to us, actually belongs to God. He has authority over each of us and over everything we have. Our bodies. God has the authority to tell us how we are to use our bodies, what we can and cannot do. For he gave us our bodies, he created them, and he has dominion over them. And we will answer to him for what we do with our bodies and how we care for them. He has dominion over our money, 
What we deposit in our bank accounts uh, when we uh, got our last paycheck, it, it all belongs to him. He has dominion over it. We will have to answer to him for how we used it, what we did with it, what we spent it on, or what we are saving it up for. It belongs to God. He is our master. He is our, our Lord. He has dominion over our possessions, over our skills, over our education, over our homes. I could go on and on. He has possession and dominion over it all. And he is not a Lord who has not given us directions for what he expects. No, in fact, he has provided us with his word, which is sufficient to not only make us wise for salvation, but to also fully equip us to be his faithful servants. We are expected to know his word and its story of our salvation. So, so how well do we know it? How well do we know his word? Especially compared to how well do we know the words and expectations and stories that our secular media is day by day, moment by moment, telling us and feeding us. What happens when, when people who are created in the image of God in order to serve and glorify God refuse to acknowledge him and completely ignore his word? Well, as one author uh, shared on a podcast I listened to the, the other day, uh, this is not even a Christian author, this is an Orthodox Jew. Uh, he said this, you know, uh, they removed God and the Bible from the schools and now just Two generations later, we can no longer tell the difference between a man and a woman. Rejecting the Lord has disastrous effects. When we reject his authority, we say we know better, we can handle this on our own, it has disastrous effects. So what will we do about that? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism has it right. I believe when it says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our purpose. And it only makes sense when God is the one who has all majesty, who has all dominion, who has all authority. He has had it before all time began on this earth. The earth he, that he created, he has it still now, and he will continue to have it forever, world without end. So talk about stability. You think you need stability, look to this God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So are you serving him? Look to the one who is able to keep you. Worship the one who is able to save you. Serve the one who has all authority over you. And you will not only have stability in these anxious days, but you'll truly have it forever, for you will have him.